Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Baseball America Podcast. from the Baseball America Podcast Nook. Controls your throwing strikes. The command is your hit the spot. Baseball America Podcast Nook. Controls your throwing strikes. The command is your hit the spot. That's yeah. stupid. I'm sorry. I'm going to rant about this again because that's just stupid, John. It is I mean, stupid. This is, this is so ridiculous. I'm tired of it. Surprised you could even hear us over the din of Ronnie McCabe's tape gun. Here we go in three, two, one. Play ball. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. This college podcast is powered by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark with a 2014 attack rate and assault bat lineup this season. Stronger, lighter, farther. Louisville Slugger. Aaron, another weekend of college baseball in the books. We're getting very close. We'll have a stock report this week, will we not? We will have a stock report. Get fired up. Get fired up for the field of 64. Uh, I have to say I love the stock report. It's just so intelligently done. It's just... You know, we don't waste time trying to put teams and what bracket they're going to be or what region, those kind of things. Who's in, who's out, why, and uh, that's why I love the stock report. And Aaron, some stock up and stock down, of course, is always going to be reflected in our top 25 rankings. Virginia holds steady this weekend. Uh, I won't do my imitation of the lead singer for the hold steady. Cal Poly swept out of the Titans. That's terrible. I'll excise that out. No, please don't. I just said I wasn't going to do the impersonation, but I did it, and it was horrible. That's a typical John Manuel move right there. I love it. It so is. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, but, but some significant movement at the back of the rankings. If Aaron can compose himself, that's definitely not making my top 20 impersonations, is it? <laughs> that's awesome. I love, that you, I love that you like that so much. But we did have movement at the back of the rankings, Aaron. Uh, two new teams, two teams that are leading the Big 12. <laughs> we'll try to compose ourselves. Yeah. TCU and Oklahoma State, Aaron. Now, you've seen both these teams in person. You saw them on your Midwest dispatches. Although TCU did not merit a dispatch for whatever reason. You know, I did I did a Finnegan piece when I okay. was there. So uh, That's right. Um, and, and that's a program for me that it feels like there's not as much flux there as there is with every other program that, that I wrote about on that trip. There's no capacitating there. The, their flux has been capacitated. The automatic plus two, of course. Sure. Um, but, you know, T- TCU has been – it's pretty established at this point, I think, right. under Jim Schlossnagel. And so, um, yeah, that's why I didn't do a, a dispatch on that program. But TCU and Oklahoma State both coming into the rankings this week. Now, Oklahoma State at 21, TCU at 23. We definitely had some debate over which team should be ranked higher in the end, we went with the first-place team in the Big 12. Um, but let's talk TCU first, if you don't mind. Indulge me that, since, yeah. I, didn't, since I lost the debate in the, uh, in the, in the rankings meeting. Sure. Because um, TCU, this is the loudest series win of any uh, Big 12 team this year. Texas had been playing very well. well had won e- every series. I guess had won, what, three straight series is losing their first to Kansas. That sounds right. And then they get swept at home and only score one run in three games against TCU. I guess really, Aaron, no matter where TCU plays, that threat is always there. With their pitching, 
Finnegan and Morrison and that bullpen. TCU could go anywhere in the country and maybe not go shut out, shut out one run. But don't you feel like TCU has the pitching to go into any yes. ballpark in the country at any time and win three straight? Yes, and this weekend really is, is what we thought we would see from this TCU pitching staff. On a know? more regular basis. On a more regular basis. And, and it's been good. They have performed um, you know, at an at a above average to well above average level. On no the doubt. But this is really like peak capacity where you have Finnegan dealing on a Friday. You have Preston Morrison throwing, what, seven or eight shutout innings on a Saturday. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Alexander, the guy that they were really excited about, Tyler Alexander, the freshman left-hander, um, on Sunday, he, he pitched well in the bullpen with, you know, Riley Farrell and Alex Young um, and Trey Tickle and Travis Evans. These are all really quality pieces. They have depth. They have the ability to mix and match. Those guys yep. all, for the most part, power stuff. I mean, whether you're, you know, whether it's power fastballs or, you know, a swing and miss breaking ball, all those guys have something that they really offer. And, um, you know, all those those guys performed very well this weekend. And, you know, the difference for TCU is that they're hitting a little bit now, too. I mean, it's not they're not scoring a ton of runs. They didn't score a lot this weekend. But Texas right. has an elite pitching staff, too. Exactly. I mean, that, that's a series that you I – mean, if you give me the over-under of 15, I would have taken the under on runs scored the entire weekend. Yeah. I mean, 50, I don't think Vegas ever would have given me 15. I yeah. mean, that would have been uh, an exceptional amount of runs for these two teams. And, and they wound up scoring, what, nine, I think? Uh, I think total. Yeah, yeah. like nine runs. Um how does this affect – this is a part we didn't discuss in the meeting. How does this affect Texas? Does this affect Texas's chances to be a top-eight national seed? I mean, obviously, they're the third-place team in the Big 12. I still think they're the best team in the Big 12. That's where we have them ranked. Where we have them ranked. They certainly had a bad weekend this this weekend. And, you know, confidence can be fragile for a team. You just talked to Augie Garrido, was that last week or two weeks ago, about this team? It was, yeah, um, it was last week. It was last week, and they just was it that they just didn't execute this weekend? Did they even have very many base runners? And and again, long range, how does this affect their chances to be a top eight national seed and stay in Austin all the way to on a potential path to Omaha? Well, I'm looking at Sunday's box score, and they had nine hits on Sunday and left eight men on base, and um, it looked like TCU turned three double plays. So. That's going to be a desk slamming kind of day for Coach Garrido. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's not going to make him very happy, but. Um, you know, I don't know who the best team in the Big 12 is. I, I think, you know, Texas has the best body of work overall still to this point. Those are different questions. That's a great way to put it. But heading into the season, we had TCU and Texas, I think, back-to-back yep. in, in the rankings. I think we had Texas ahead, but it was a toss-up for, for me, John, right. uh, how you felt about it. But um, there were two teams that I thought were constructed very similarly uh, with Elite pitching staffs, right? Two of the, I thought two of the best pitching staffs in the country. I certainly had my doubts about TC just because their last year's team just did not hit, and neither and, obviously did Texas. Right. This is not a juggernaut team, but I kind of had my doubts about uh, offensively. But I, I did have my doubts about them. It does feel like you said that they've started to figure out their identity offensively. Coming into the year, I had a little bit more faith in Texas. I thought that you know, I really did think Coach Garrido would kind of have one of those with one last breath, I stab yeah. at the kind of seasons, and they're you know they're having a really good year. But but I, this weekend really kind of shook my faith a little bit in Texas. I feel like it's just a series that you just you got to figure out how to win one game in that series. Right, right. And, you know, TCU, we, we talk about them offensively. Um, you know, Boomer White has, has been a big part of what they've done there. He's, you know, he's really been their best hitter. Uh, and then Dylan Fitzgerald is kind of the unsung guy, not not a big-name guy, but just, a, you know, got a good feel for hitting. He's just one of yeah. those guys that finds a way. He's kind of like their version of um, – Oh, boy, it's the guy in Tennessee that I'm blanking on his name all of a sudden. I can't help you Price. with Tennessee. Okay. The, 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 ver, the version of that guy, Price, at Tennessee, just kind of an, uh, an upperclassman who, who finds – he's just a, just a good hitter. You right. know, and it's not big tools. But they got – you know, so they've got a couple guys like that. 
Um, you know, Derek Adele's had a pretty nice bounce back year as a junior. They really needed him to. Crone's been up and down for him. Um, there's still, you know, there's still going to be some swing and miss, but he, he's walking more. It seems like his, his approach is better this year. They get a lot more production out of Cody Jones offensively. Um, you know, not a ton. <laughs> he's still not hitting a ton, but, right. I mean, you know, the, 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 there's, there's just less black holes in the lineup than there used to be. And I guess the other part of this that we should discuss is Brandon Finnegan. I mean, you saw him. He was great again on Friday. And I'll just talking with uh, Clint Longenecker and talking to some of the, the heat that was in there Friday at the Carlos Rodon start. Brandon Finnegan, we might have even been a little bit light on him in our midseason draft update. This guy has a chance to go 5-10 to 10 in the draft, it sounds like, Aaron. And he is... I wanted to stuff him up there. You did. You did. You wanted to run him up. I mean, just, you know, Aaron Nola was our midseason kind of college player of the year. Who would you rather draft, Finnegan or Nola? Mm. That's a really tough case. I think there are a lot of teams that are in the Finnegan camp sure, because right. the stuff is that much bigger. And coming you know, and at this time last year, you know, the guy was on his way to a one and eight season, and I think most scouts thought of him as oh and eight. I'm sorry, I thought I think most scouts thought of him as a reliever, uh, like a Billy Wagner type reliever. But has anybody else in the country taken off? I mean, his breaking ball last year was a minus pitch and. We saw it happen last summer. Now it's just a, it's a weapon for oh, him. Oh, man, is it good. I mean, you know, and I saw it on a day where it was allegedly not its best, and I thought it was, it might have been the best breaking ball I've seen this year. I thought mm-hmm. it was really, really good. Um, and he has developed a changeup. And, you know, the, the, the comp, I guess now, rather than Billy Wagner, is maybe like a Scott Casbier. Right. Um, That's it. And, and it's, the stuff is just so live. Yeah. And he's, he's matured a lot. He's proven that he can win. That was what they really, I think, needed to see from him. Yeah, I know you don't, scouts don't evaluate on wins and losses. I get that. And, you know, that's not in a pitcher's control. But it's, I think it's hard to take a guy fifth or sixth overall who's 0-8. Yeah. You know, I just think it gets in people's heads that maybe this is a guy who does just enough to lose. A guy who doesn't, you know, can't get out of any, you know, doesn't minimize damage, those kind of things. And I do think it, it helps to see Brandon Finnegan just – and, I, I mean, he's taken step forward in terms of the quality of stuff. I think he's taken a step forward just in the routine of being a starting pitcher. So a little assist to Carlos Rodon there for helping him with the breaking ball grip because it really seems like that was one of the things that kind of unlocked that breaking ball. No doubt. But the arm is fast, sturdy body. Um, so you can see why I thought TCU <laughs> should have been ranked ahead of Oklahoma State. But, Aaron, you look at the numbers – Oklahoma State's in first place in the Big 12. Oklahoma State has the most home runs in the Big 12 in conference play. They won the head-to-head against TCU. They won the head-to-head against TCU. They lead the, in, in conference games. They lead the league in batting. They lead the league in ERA. So Oklahoma State, this is what adds up to Oklahoma State being in first place in the league. And they've won, what, four straight series now in their quality series against, you know, uh, West Virginia and Kansas and Texas Tech and TCU. And those are those are all teams that have chances to be in regionals. And they swept their last two series. Um you know, I think Oklahoma State is they're, they're playing well. I mean, even even the midweek game they lost to, to Oklahoma this week, um, they were down. I think they were down nine to four in the late innings. Uh, might have been the eighth inning, and, and and I was watching that game and I turned it off. I said, you know, I, I stuck with it for a while because I thought it's still water. The wind's blowing out. You never know what can happen. Yeah. Eventually, I turned it off, and, and after I did, they actually came back and tied it up. Five runs in the last two innings, and how long did that game go? Eighteen Eight, innings. Went eighteen. It was, Holy crap! It was a, a you know a marathon, and they lose that game, and then they rebound and sweep another weekend series. So um, this team to me has shown a lot of resilience. You know, there's a lot of young players that they're relying on here. Um, that have performed. I really like um, the older bats in the lineup. You know, Zach Fish, I think, can just hit, and he's got real power. I mean, that's legitimate, you know, above-average power on, on a big league scale. Um, you know, Gage Green, 
Um, and you know, Tanner, Tanner Kreitmeyer is another guy who hasn't you know hasn't had a great year, but he has hit for power. Right. Um, you know, so that that's a dimension for them. You know, and yes, they play in a, a hitter friendly park, but they've got physical guys that can really hit it out. And um, you know, I think Donnie Walton, the shortstop, is a really good player. Um, you know, one of the better shortstops, certainly in the Big Twelve, and, and, and you know, he's just a very consistent guy. Um, you know, doesn't maybe get his due, but I mean, he's he's a he's a good, good player. And then you got some of the, the younger players mixed in there. Um, you know, I, I like their lineup, I and mean, that that to me is the strength of that team. Um, John Perrin, I guess, was very good this weekend on the mound. Um, I heard he was up to ninety three, uh, so the, the quality of stuff has ticked up a little bit for him. Of course, one of the better names in college baseball, Tyler Nerden. Tyler Nerden, <laughs> it's just a great name. Pop culture reference of the day for That's sure. Right. That's right. Um, but uh, I threw you off there. I'm sorry. No, that, that's fine. It's a good name. Uh, Fight Club reference. <laughs> exactly. But, the, but, but <laughs> I think it's another thing that shouldn't surprise us here. And you wrote about this, I thought, extensively and very well in the uh, dispatch from Stillwater. If there's any team that you would expect to kind of overachieve a little bit, it's this club. Josh Holiday is only in his second year as a head coach and is still learning, I think, being a head coach. This this staff is one of the best staffs in college baseball, just in terms of its resume and especially in terms of evaluating the era, all the arrows are pointing up. I mean, if they were to win the Big Twelve regular season this year, that would just seem like it would just even more spur the rebirth we kind of expect out of this program. Right. And last year, um, they were in a regional, um, and you know, I thought they were a little bit ahead of schedule last year. I mean, I thought they had a chance to be in regional, but you know, I thought they, they were a little bit better last year than I really thought they would be. I thought that staff did a good job getting the most out of their talent and. And I think they're doing so again this year. I right. mean, um, their non-conference schedule was so poor, um, and the, the one series that they played that was really a quality series was San Diego at home, and they lost that series. Right. And that's why it's taken them 10 weeks to get into the rankings. Um, that's it. I mean, it's, so there's a lot of incarnate words, and Stephen F. Austin's and a lot of these you know, mid-major Texas schools on their schedule, and frankly, those mid-major Texas schools aren't as good this year or last year as they were a couple other years. It's a... And when you play a UT Pan Am for three games yeah. and an Oakland for four games, yep. those really hurt your RPI. And so um, they had to dig out of a significant RPI hole, but now they're kind of back in that, where they closer to they want to be, you know, right outside the top 50, I think. So. And it just feels like this could be a team. Again, this, this team's got a good record, and they're playing well. You know, Nerden and Garrett Williams. Garrett Williams got hammered on Wednesday yeah. against Oklahoma. They're yeah. impact freshmen. And Nerden's at an area over six. And these are guys... Correct me if I'm wrong, were they counting on both these guys yeah. to be top, two of their top four starters? You know, and Mark Robinette is another one that, you know, has, hadn't been healthy really. And, um, you know, so some of these key guys that they were counting on, they had, they had a lot of injuries in the first half on, on the mound in particular. And that's why they had some of these freshman guys that they had to lean on a little bit more than they thought they would have to. Right. It just doesn't feel like – so Oklahoma State and TCU both playing very well. And I guess I would say that I feel like TCU is closer to capacity than Oklahoma State. I think that's probably true. Even though I think Oklahoma State's gotten a lot out of its team, at the same time, some of those top arms that they were, you know, guys were probably getting bigger scholarship money than some of their teammates haven't quite uh, lived up to expectations yet. And, and one more key for Oklahoma State has been Brandon McCurry. We really have to give this guy credit. I just was looking him up because, I mean, like, I was just like, who is this guy? But, I mean, like, what a season for a little 5'10", 160-pound guy. He is a bulldog. And, and, you know, the day I saw him, the midweek game, um, it was miserable conditions, and they um, it was an extra inning game, so they had to extend him for a couple of innings, and he was dominant. I mean, it was just you know, it was a maybe an eighty-eight to ninety-one kind of fastball. It wasn't overpowering velocity, but the breaking ball was really good. Um, and he, he knew how to pitch, and he was just like I said, he was a bulldog. He's given up one run all year, and, and I think he just set the 
school saves record or something like that. I thought I heard. I have to check on that one. But um, he, he's had a fantastic year. and one of the better closers out there. He definitely deserves some uh, some mention there. Aaron, the rest of the Big 12, I mean, we, I, I saw one of the games on TV this weekend because when you have a broken foot, you wind up watching a lot of TV. <laughs> You're supposed to keep it elevated and, uh, and and not do anything. So I'm pretty good at not doing anything. <laughs> so I watched the Baylor uh, Kansas State this weekend. I mean, how many – I was first of all, I was stunned. Those were the teams at the bottom of the Big Twelve, especially Kansas State. Yeah. But I mean, what's the overall picture looking like for this for this league uh, in terms of a regional hosts? Like, how many regional hosts could they get in this league potentially? And what's the number of bids just in general looking like for the Big Twelve? This is probably the toughest one to figure out. And, uh, and there's several leagues you could say that about. They hold a key to some of these other leagues. How yeah. many they get, don't they? You're in right. A way? You're right because I mean, I feel like there's a lot of variance here with the Big Twelve. I, I feel like. You know, the top four teams, Oklahoma State, TCU, Texas, and Texas Tech, um, those feel like pretty safe regional teams. And Oklahoma State is actually, you know, <laughs> there's not a lot of wiggle room with their RPI. Right. I mean, you know, they're, right now they're, they're right on the bubble RPI-wise, but they're in first place. I think they're, you know, they're on track to be in the regionals. And the other three teams are in really good regional shape. Texas Tech continues to, um, you know. Another team we haven't talked much about, but, I mean, it just seems like, Aaron, they, they opened the season very loudly, three out of four against Indiana. Right. Which and, is really helping them, you know, boosting that RPI up for sure. Right. And they've been pretty steady since then. There's really not a signature series win. So, like, every time they play another one of these other pretty good Big 12 teams, they haven't fared as well. Right. They did win a series uh, at TCU. But, okay. Uh, that's, really, that's really the signature series for them. And, you know, they have had some series losses. So, um, that's why they're not quite in the top 25. They've been kind of dancing around the edge there, though, for a while that's this it. year. I feel like they've been on the worksheet for a long time. They have been. Um, just haven't ever uh, kind of broken through. Um, but that, it feels like those those four teams, and again, Oklahoma State. Again, is it, it's not a foregone conclusion that there's going to be an, an at-large bid for them. But they, like you said, their RPI just not a lot of wiggle room there. That's right. And you know, Oklahoma was the team that um, you know really needs to make hay in the RPI. They're actually the worst RPI in the league right now, 88. Who's um, that? Oklahoma. Oh my gosh. So you know, that's a team. Not that, expected. That's a team that needs to needs to get on it, and I think they could be in some trouble. But you know, Kansas, West Virginia, and uh, I think I had both those teams in in, in the in the midseason field sixty four and Oklahoma. And right now, you might have to put all those teams out. You know, even West Virginia, they still have a thirty one RPI, um, but they're four and seven in the league. Um, you know, the two and seven is the top fifty. The arrow on their season is kind of pointing down. It, it seems like they haven't yep. gained any momentum in only nineteen play. and sixteen overall. Now, I mean, it's one of those teams where the art of, the the RPI is kind of head scratchingly inflated. There's one of the, one of those teams. This has been a more difficult year than usual. It feels like to figure out RPI here. But one team that does make sense in the RPI is Florida. Yeah, the Gators are number one in the RPI, and you can really see how they've gotten there. They're tied for first place now in the Southeastern Conference, which is undoubtedly the deepest, strongest league this year. They've got three midweek wins against Florida State, which is having a good te- good season. It's a very good team, has a good record, all the things that make for a good RPI win. And the Gators go uh, against the red-hot Georgia team that you profiled in the weekend preview. And you said, hey, look, Georgia's gotten to 500 in SEC play, but now the real f- toughest part begins for the Bulldogs and Florida very young Florida team, but Florida goes and, and takes care of business, sweeps Georgia, now tied for first place in the Southeastern Conference. We really debated where to rank them. We wound up moving them to number six in the rank, in the league, in the, in the rankings. Uh, the Florida Gators, probably the hottest team in the best league in the country. I think that's fair. I mean, you can certainly make a case for Alabama, too, because Alabama's won. 
all but all but one series in the SEC this year. Right. Um, whereas Florida does have a couple of series of losses. But I mean, you know, when you look at the last um, month here for Florida, I mean, sweeping Georgia, you know, winning a road series in South Carolina, um, sweeping LSU. Those are the two big ones to me. Is two top ten preseason teams. Yep. And teams that have been playing very well. And the series win at South Carolina, beating the Gamecocks on the road as a, such a young team, that is such a loud series to me. And then and then backing that up by staying consistent, not getting too high for that, and winning that series against LSU, that kind of that, that really awoke awoke me to Florida's possibilities. And those midweek wins against Florida State, I mean, those don't hurt. really matter. But they don't hurt. Um, the other thing about Florida is when you look at their non-conference. I mean, um, yeah, you know, they were fortunate that they got to, they played Maryland at home, and Maryland's having you know their best year in forever. Um, you know, they're still in the top twenty in the RPI, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> this is their first. I mean, I'm not knocking the. I'm not, tr- not trying to knock the uh, the Terrapins. Who I, I had their back. You did. This is their first series win in a month that they just had this weekend. Right, right. Against I mean, Georgia Tech, a huge series win for the Terps. They really needed it. Absolutely huge, but it's their first series win in a month. I mean, I just, I, how are they still that high in the rankings? I don't get it. But anyway. RPI. RPI rankings, yeah, sorry. But then they went to, Florida went to Miami also, and yeah, they lost that series. But I mean, you know, most of the, they don't have any stinkers on their, their schedule as far <clears> as <throat> RPI killers. Right. You know, and, and um, you know, and they've 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 got those quality series wins, and um, I, I do I do like their team. I mean, right now it feels like the pitching roles have solidified. I don't know. Actually, I say that they still they still have yeah. guys. You know, kind of like Aaron Rhodes, I think, slid into the rotation now, um, which makes sense. I mean, he's I think he's been one of their better arms all year. He's 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 good. Um, Logan Shore has been the constant, really. He's the only constant, and I mean, what are the odds? You know, the crazy thing, Aaron, and I, I'm just so old. I think of these things. But, like, when I saw Logan Shore was one of Florida's top recruits, I was like, you know, this is the kind of thing that got Andy Lopez fired at Florida. You know, Andy Lopez got criticized at U of F for having too many kids who weren't from U of F, from the state of Florida. You know, like Tim Olson uh, from Sandy, South Dakota being one of their top recruits, or Brad Wilkerson from Kentucky. I mean, it was fine when he was Brad Wilkerson, but when you're not winning with kids who aren't from Florida, it, it kind of stuck out. Man, it's not like... Andy Lopez didn't win. He took him to Omaha a couple times, I believe. But he did have a couple of subpar years. And so I just thought to myself, man, really, Logan Short, kid from Minnesota? You and A.J. Puck. A.J. Puck, I mean, he's from where, Missouri, Iowa? Iowa, I think. I mean, like, it just really, that really stood out to me. But they've both been so good, I don't think there are going to be any repercussions, consequences or repercussions, to use my Eddie Murphy phrase. But, I mean, both those guys have been really, really good. So I, I think I was just wrong. But it did make me flash back to Florida 12, 13 years ago when things started to go wrong for Andy Lopez. But obviously the Gators also have lots of good players from the state of Florida. Yeah, and they do, certainly. And they, they will always get good players from the state of Florida. But also, you know, it's, it, those players are scouted so heavily. Right. I, I, I wonder sometimes if maybe, you know, you're better off doing like Vanderbilt and Clemson have done for a long time in North Carolina um, and some of these programs that have gone north and right. you know gotten these kids that just want to get the hell out of the cold <laughs> and and go go south and play college baseball. I mean, there, there's something to that. I mean, if you can get those guys, so um, you know, I, Florida's got to get Florida kids. We know right. that, but but I think they can you know supplement those with uh, uh, with cold weather kids and, and have a lot of success with it as, as we've seen. And they have, and I guess the other thing, the other constant for them really, Aaron, has been you know last year they really struggled. It seemed like. Just at the top of their lineup in the middle of the infield defense, their infield defense was a real struggle for them last night, I mean last year. But it feels like this year, at least in the middle of the lineup, 
Gus Hugh and Richie Martin, the two guys who we kind of thought would be the constants for them last year offensively, but really were kind of maybe a little bit too young, not quite mature enough to handle these very significant roles. Those guys have grown into those roles this year, and Gus Hugh's been in the middle of the lineup constant, and Martin seems like he's kind of the igniter for them offensively. Yeah, Gus Hugh's been, been key. You know, he needed to have a bounce back year. Uh, and then Braden Matson, that's the guy that the junior college transfer – um, who's provided a big lift for them. You remember he was a, uh, originally a TCU. He was kind of a big right. recruit for, for the Horned Frogs and didn't work out there, went to junior college ball, and he's matured. And, you know, he's, he's a good-looking hitter. I mean, he certainly looks the part. Um, I'm actually surprised he doesn't have more extra base hits. I think I saw a couple of them in that <laughs> Miami series. But he has hit for average, and, um, you know, he's, he's provided a little bit of protection in there. And Peter Alonzo, after a slow start, has gotten going. That's a guy, that, a freshman that – that uh, the Gators really liked and expected a lot from. They've, they've gotten more uh, more production, you know, from John Sternigal, you know, the guy that's getting on base for him, uh, a freshman at this another key piece. Hi- another, another highly recruited Florida. Kid. Yeah, I mean, it's still not a lineup that scares you when you look at it. Right. Um, you know, I mean, there's, you know, they're not hitting. They don't hit for a lot of average. There's not a lot of guys here that are that are real offensive threats. I mean, Gushu is the guy. It's still a pitching and defense team, but yes, like that's what I was saying. Like to me, Gushu, if Gushu and Martin are going to have to be. Integral, and have they gotten Harrison Bader back? Forgive me. Yeah, for, he is back. Yeah, that, he's been that's, back for a while. That's the other important piece. It feels like for them to just make that lineup again. They're they're, they're really not too dissimilar. It doesn't feel like Aaron than say Vanderbilt and Arkansas, two SEC teams that played this weekend out in Fayetteville. Pretty electric atmosphere as always. It seems like uh, out in, uh, at Bomb Stadium, Arkansas wins that series. We wound up bringing the Razorbacks into the rankings at 24. We dropped Vanderbilt seven spots. It wasn't so much this weekend for Vanderbilt, but just cumulatively, Aaron, you saw them in, in Knoxville, and you saw them on uh, the Sun Sphere. The glare of the Sun Sphere in Knoxville clearly affected them. But they've lost four out of five series. Uh, three straight. Is it anything new that ails Vanderbilt, or is it pretty much the same thing? They just are not. It feels like them, Arkansas, and Florida are kind of similar teams, and then they just don't scare you offensively. But Florida's been executing a little bit better offensively. They do have maybe the separator guy is Gushu here. He's slugging over 500. That's <laughs> that's rare these days. Um, what, what ails the Commodores in your mind? Well, first and foremost for me, um, Tyler Beatty has not been Tyler Beatty here for uh, really a month. I mean, he was he was he was at one point he was four and zero with an ERA about one, and now he's five and five with an ERA of what three point seven five? I think I mean, not going not going to repeat as SEC pitcher of the year. No, it's really um, you know that he he's got to set the tone for him. And you know they they wound up moving Carson Fulmer into the rotation this weekend, and he responded with six shutout innings. You know, and I'm not surprised that he did because boy, is he good. Yeah. Um, but you know that that move makes some sense for me because I mean Brian Miller saved a lot of games for them. Right. I mean he's perfectly trustworthy at the back of the bullpen. Um, and you Jared Miller has been struggling. You got to get a lead. You, you you can't build from the back. Yeah. We've talked about this before. You can't build from the bullpen forward if you can't get leads. Did we talk about this with Florida last year? <laughs> I feel like we did. Um, it just feels like you, you, it's wonderful to build. I know a lot of college coaches want to build from that bullpen forward, but if you can't get early leads, forget it. that. That method does does not work. You have to have some offense, and Vanderbilt just has not really consistently got it done offensively, Aaron, right. and it hasn't changed. And did you know, it's very hard to get well against Arkansas's arms. That's true. I mean, that's, you know, Arkansas, um, boy, I love that rotation with, with, with you know, Jalen Beeks and Trey Killian, who... Getting Killian back from that ridiculous suspension. Yep. And it took Killian a little while to really kind of get, you know, into a groove, and he, hadn't, he doesn't have a lot of wins on the season, but 
Uh, he's pitched. I feel like he's pitched better than the numbers show. He pitched well this weekend and got the win. And then you know Chris Oliver pitched well also. It's three really good arms on, on the weekend rotation. When you get Killian back and then you move Weeks in, Oliver, who's one of the top draft guys in the SEC, this guy's your Sunday starter. Yep. I mean, and then, so first of all, that's a reason probably why Chris Oliver has the helium that he has. There are a lot of players in the Midwest. Scouts are going to go see Casey Gillespie, Wichita State. Uh, there's some high school players, Monte Harrison and. Uh, Bryce Montes de Oca, my favorite name in this year's draft. Uh, I believe he's a Kansas high school pitcher. Um, so these guys are a lot of guys that you go to see on a Friday or Saturday, and then you go see Chris Oliver on Sunday, and he's 94-97 for the start of the game, and then he kind of yeah. settles in a little bit lower. Um, but you're also going to go see Brian Anderson, one of the top SEC uh, college, uh, position players in the draft. So there's reason to go see Arkansas. I think that's why I keep on hearing this buzz, but... Aaron, it, it feels like this is a classic now Arkansas team with some real special arms. Maybe not the bullpen depth that we've become accustomed to with the Razorbacks, but that rotation, again, right there to me with Vanderbilt, right there with anybody in the SEC, aren't they? You know, honestly, these rotations we're talking about, I still feel like are better um, than Florida's, which Florida has just been so, even now, it's just so fluid in the rotation, and it's weird, and it's working for them. It's, you know, in some ways it's almost like, um, Mississippi State last year, where they yeah. just kind of piece it together. They got yeah. they got a lot of arms. They don't have a lot of traditional seven inning, you know, workhorse kind of guys. You're right. They just kind of piece it together with a lot of arms. Whereas Logan Shore's the only guy with more than fifty innings. So wow. for, for Florida, for Florida, so that's the only guy on the whole Florida roster who's averaging more than five innings a week. Basically, I mean that's that's really funky. It's funky, and you know Arkansas and Vanderbilt, you know, in South Carolina and. You know, those teams have have more traditional rotations, and right. so I would, I, I tend to prefer a more traditional rotation. But uh, right now, it's really working for Florida. But I, I am curious if it, it'll be sustainable. And hey, it has been to this point, right? But we'll, we'll see how how it goes uh, as we head into the, the last part of the season. Just watching a little bit of Arkansas. I believe it was Sunday. Uh, I think it was on uh, ESPN U. Um, but just watching, you know, that that team. Their offense is kind of exactly kind of what we thought. It's basically Serrano, who was kind of burst on the scene as a freshman uh, two years ago, and they made their Omaha run. Anderson, and then they're just kind of searching for help. You know, Spoo's been okay. Um, just not a dynamic offense, Aaron. They're not a team that's – and they don't run a ton. They don't – you know, they, I guess they bunt a little bit. Just tough to see this being a team that could go in and dominate. I don't think their pitching is quite as good as a TCU's, but they, all these teams are pretty similar, aren't yeah. they? No, you're right. I mean, really, you're right. The teams that, that have offense really stand out, and that's why Cal Poly stands out, and Louisiana Lafayette stands out, and, you know, even Kentucky, Absolutely. certainly in the SEC, Kentucky stands out for that reason, and they've been up and down like everybody, but um, the teams that can score runs, you know, and, and all those teams have pitching too. They do. Right, I mean, they that's, do. That's why I kind of – you said this morning, we were talking in the Top 25 meeting, we were talking about all the, the teams in the – in the teens in our rankings, and you said Kentucky's the one that kind of jumps out to you as being they do. the most dangerous. They do, and it's not all A.J. Reed, certainly Kuzna, but, I mean, A.J. Reed, what a year this guy's having. Monstrous. It's just, it won't stop. Right. And early on, the first, uh, one of my first draft calls was to a national cross-checker, and uh, we were talking about A.J. Reed. And he said, you know, to me, the swing is long, it's sweepy, it's kind of grooved. Yes, there's power there. I still think push comes to shove. He's a he's a starting pitcher for me. He's like a back of the rotation. He, you know, the classic comparison for him has been Brian and- Brian Johnson, the left former left hander from uh, Florida, who was a end of the first round pick for the Red Sox. 
But I think the next guy I talked to, who had just recently seen AJ Reed, was like, you know, I think the swing's a little bit better than that. You know, I, I've seen him better than that, and the power is really hard to find. And that even that first scout I talked to said, you know, the analytics teams are going to draft him as a hitter. So if there's an analytics team that sees him good from a scouting perspective and puts that those eyes together with the numbers, will take him as a hitter. If it were up to me and he's on our board at that point, we'd take him and send him out as a pitcher. But it feels like the momentum just keeps going toward the hitting because he won't stop hitting, Aaron. He just doesn't stop. He's having a crazy good year. Um, when you factor in the fact that he's got, what, is it 16 home runs he's got I think now? He's 16. Uh, he's on base all the time, and he's a Friday starter in the SEC, you know, having a good year as a Friday starter. If he's not your SEC player of the year, I mean, who, who could it possibly be? Right now, it's hard to, I mean, it's hard to imagine anyone in the country being more valuable than this guy. And, and you know, I, I say that, you know, Aaron Nola is awesome. He's awesome, he doesn't but he's hit. Not, he doesn't hit. <laughs> you know? That's it. That's the bottom line. How in this way is Kentucky still just 9-9 nine and nine in the league? I guess because the league is that tough. Yeah. But it just feels like Kentucky, they play the rugged schedule, but it still feels like Kentucky should have a better record. Like they should be a little bit better than they are. Am I Am I being too harsh on the Wildcats to say that? I feel, I feel like I'm not. Well, I mean, last weekend, you know, you, you lose a home series to Missouri. That's it. Um, I mean, Brett Graves is good. Missouri has some arms. Missouri is good enough to win a series, but you shouldn't lose to the last place team at home. I mean, it's one thing if you go on the road and lose a series to them, okay. But if you're, you I hope know, NC State fans are listening, but they already know that. But that's that's yeah. a, that's well, this is a more of a top twenty-five geared and regional geared podcast. So right now, NC State does not belong in that conversation they after sure losing are. a home series to Boston College. Yeah, stick a fork in them, John. Uh, I'm with you. Uh, but Kentucky, you know, to me that the problem right now is, um, it's in the rotation. It's AJ Reed. Nelson has has struggled. Um, he's gotten hit hard the last couple of weeks on Sundays. Um, they've been without. Chandler Shepard. Right. So I mean, Dylan Dwyer's had a good job for him. Getting him healthy has been <laughs> has been a key for them. But um, you know, the, the the pitching isn't as good there as it is at the, all the other, these other places we've talked about in the in the SEC. That's it. And you heard they about Cal Cody that. early in the year, and, and you know they just their bullpens remained unsettled. They've had some injuries. Cody's been good in the bullpen. I yeah. think putting him there was the right move. But they right. just they just don't have as as many good arms as you know the Floridas and Arkansas and South Carolinas and you know even LSU. Um, I think LSU's done a pretty good job with their pitching staff. Alan Dunn does a great job with that staff. I'm an Alan Dunn guy, no doubt about it. Um, Aaron, the SEC just keeps on getting more muddled. Auburn had lost a couple weeks in a row. Then they go and win, uh, lose the series against South Carolina. They're, they're, they're sliding kind of out of the regional picture. Yeah. Um, who's sliding back into the regional picture in that league? Or, I mean, again, the, it really does seem that the whole key to this whole deal, regional picture-wise, is going to be, what do you do with some of these SEC teams that don't have good RPIs? Like Arkansas, which is RPIs in the 51 range uh, because of their non-conference. That's a, uh, probably a story for another day. Um, but this, this league just feels like, it feels like it's going to be really, we've ranked 12 teams. It feels like it's going to be really difficult to construct. To get. I, yeah. I could definitely see the committee, when you're having a hard time deciding between some of these good but not anywhere near great teams around the country, I think they're going to wind up defaulting to 11, 12 SEC teams. See, I don't. I think. I think. Okay. I still think they get uh, ten most likely, and I think nine is more likely than eleven. Okay. Um, partly because you know some of these teams are pretty. Even the SEC are kind of fringy. You know, I mean, um, Georgia, Georgia we've talked about, and you know, I, one reason, frankly, that I wanted to write about Georgia last week was because I wanted to recognize the job that Scott Strickland had done there, and they'd won three straight series, and I kind of thought that was going to be the 
right. high point for them. And, you know, so you wanted to write about them and give them some attention before they kind of went in the tank. And, right. And the rest of their schedule is just so brutal that I kind of thought that that was coming. Right. <laughs> but, not, not, I think going in the tank is uh, uh, probably not... That's a little harsh. A little harsh, but it's, it, it's more realistic that they're going to have a bad finish than a good finish because the youth of their team, the transition period they're in, and the strength of the schedule coming up. Yeah. And then, you know, Auburn is now slipping um, their last place in the SEC West. Auburn and Tennessee are these two teams that are 7-11, Aaron. Yeah. And you saw Tennessee's peak, you know, that big series winning against Vanderbilt. They have not been able to sustain that momentum, uh, positive momentum. Since and they then. still have a much better, you know, RPI situation than, than Auburn. Auburn's 58, Tennessee's 26. Um, you know, then you got Texas A&M's 64. So, I mean, some of these teams um, that, that you feel like maybe could have a chance at regionals, you know, not like they're robust in the RPI. Aaron, we, I, the elephant in the podcast nook is the RPI. We keep talking about it. And we talk about it every year, but, man, it's screwier than ever, it feels like, in college baseball this year. I mean, I don't – I guess I, I understand how Florida's number one. How is Houston the number three team in the RPI when they just got swept at home last week? I mean, I, good for Houston. The Cougars bounced back this weekend, win a series against South Florida. Meanwhile, we talked about it in Friday's uh, hangout, Central Florida – Swept the doubleheader Thursday against Louisville. They won the series. Louisville came back and avoided the sweep. We're going to be a little bit soft, I think, going forward on the American Athletic Conference teams, judging by recent events. But how on earth is Houston the number three RPI team? Yeah, and they're three and six against the top fifty. What the hell? <laughs> I mean, it's I guess because they haven't scheduled anybody, any HBCU teams. Because they basically? only because they only have one team against the the two hundred plus RPI range. Um, and they're you know they've played fourteen games against those one on one to two hundred teams and they they're twelve and two uh, and then they have a lot of games see that to me is why that's why I don't like one of the reasons one of the many reasons right. I don't I don't love the RPI is I feel like it rewards teams that play a lot of teams in the fifty one to one hundred range you know yeah. which is what Houston did they're thirteen and two against those fifty one to one hundred teams that's the sweet spot if you schedule a bunch of those you could probably win a lot of those games and they're not going to kill you in the RPI I feel the RPI rewards mediocrity. I like to reward teams that have high peaks. I agree and completely. That's why, you know, for me, if I, when I'm constructing the field, I look at teams that, you know, win weekend series. It's not good enough to go one and two every week against good teams like Maryland was doing or like, um, you know, there's, every year we see it, teams that, that don't well, win. Well, right now, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. <laughs> Vanderbilt's yeah. in the top 10, in the, uh, top 15 in the RPI, top 20, and they're, they, they've won one series in the last month, month plus. They've, yeah. won, they've won one of their last five series. Right. And I know they're playing good teams, and they don't get swept, but is that really good enough? I mean, you're sending a team out to regionals. They're going to play these kind of caliber teams, and Vanderbilt consistently, against those caliber teams, goes one and two. Is that good enough? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I don't think it is. And, and is that good? If, I, I'm sir, I think Vanderbilt's a regional team. Aaron, right now they're not a regional host, and they shouldn't be. Yeah. They don't deserve it. But their yeah. RPI says they are. That's true. Not buying. Not buying on the Commodores. And even you know, back to Houston here. I mean, again, three and six against the top fifty. I mean, I, I like Houston's team. I, I really like the pitching and, and you know the defense formula. I like their. I like everything about their team. I think they're pretty good. Right. They're not number three. They can good. really pitch. They can really pitch and. They've got um, some experienced bats in there. They've got some decent athleticism. But number three. They haven't proven to me that they can beat the really good teams. I mean, you know, the the Houston College Classic they had that weekend, they went one and two. Yep. And they lost to Texas and TCU. Yep. Um, you know, they beat USC and UCLA on the West Coast. Those aren't great teams. 
The other super vexing team in here, Aaron, was Indiana State. Yeah. I do want to talk a little bit about the Missouri Valley because it feels like the Missouri Valley, this is a good year in the MVC. It feels like uh, there's some real pitching in this league. There's some talent in this league. Not elite talent, but this is another league that's really jumbled. It feels like if you put a, a Missouri Valley all-star team together, that would be a competitive all-star team with any league in the country. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly no, no one else in the country would want to go Friday night against Kyle Freeland. You know, he'd be right there with anybody. But no one, there's not a lot of separation in this league. And here you look in the league standings, DBU and Evansville tied at 6-3. Indiana State and Illinois State 7-5. Missouri and Wichita State both 6-6. But even their last place team, Southern Illinois, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that where Aaron Coonrod pitches? Yeah, Sam 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 Coonrod. Coonrod. I don't know who Aaron, I think Aaron's like an older cousin. There was an Aaron Coonrod. Was there? There was. I believe there was an Aaron Coonrod. Um, I'm not saying that with 100% conviction. I'm going to look it up when you start talking. But this league, I mean, but there's no separation. But it feels like at the same time, this is a pretty deep league by its own standards, is it not? No, it is. And, and this is a league where it does not have a RPI drain at the bottom. You know, because even that's a good place to start. Even Coonrod's uh, Salukis are, are you know 187. All right, not, that's my not... new fantasy. I'm going to go chase my fantasy team name right now to Coonrod Salukis. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Uh, but they're 187, and that's the lowest team in the league. They're, they're, they're not, you know, 250 or something. I mean, right. um, you know, most, what, what is it, six of the, of the eight teams in this league are inside the top 100. Um, you know, this, the this, sweet spot, the, the aforementioned sweet spot. That's it. And so, you know, Dallas Baptist uh, and Indiana State and Illinois State are all in pretty good shape for at-large bids. And then you've got kind of Wichita and Evansville on the periphery there from an RPI standpoint. And, you know, Wichita's played, I think, a good schedule. And they, right. They've had ups and downs. Uh, but, you know, they did sweep a series this weekend, which they needed to. I think it was against the Salukis. But uh, they need to get back on track. So, I don't know. I feel like this could be a three-bid league. Probably not four. Um, but, it, you know, this, this is a pretty solid league. I mean, I, I like several of these teams. and Bad timing for Creighton to have gone to the Big East baseball-wise. Obviously, it was good for them uh, basketball-wise. But rough, t- rough timing for Creighton. I just, can't, I just remember going last Friday ready to go on the radio in Omaha and seeing who Creighton was playing and then seeing Georgetown. What? And then seeing the pictures that were tweeted out of Georgetown at T-Dapo. You know, I mean, yeah. the, that's the only time the Georgetown Hoyas, no offense to Coach Pete Wilk and the Hoyas, that's the only time that the Hoyas are going to ever play at TD Ameritrade Park, Omaha, right, right. is when they go visit Creighton in regular season Big East Conference play. That was a stunner. Con- I still can't get used to that. Conference realignment's stupid, John. No doubt about it. No doubt about it, Aaron. Um... But the the, the valley, uh, who, who's the favorite there in the valley for you? Is it still it's still DPU for still me. Dallas Baptist? Even though you saw them lose a series at home to Utah Valley and the fighting uh, Clint Burgies? Yeah, even even though the fighting um, Brinkerhoffs, fighting Brinkerhoffs. Yeah, I mean, I still like I like DPU's pitching a lot. Um, you know, that's really the strength of their team. I, I feel like they have the best the best staff in that league, and um, you know, and they've done they've got a decent little resume there, um, but. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't think they're they're a runaway favorite. You know, I, I, st- I still like Illinois State right there with them. I right. know Illinois State is only a half game back. Um, that team has a lot of pitching too. So for me, those are the two best teams. I, I, I I'm not sold on the Sycamores. I mean, they've done a good job. They've had a nice year. They're somehow number twenty one in the RPI. <laughs> I just don't get that at all. Despite being two and four against the top fifty. Don't get that at all. Aaron, the other most other muddled league. We'll leave it with this. We've talked about the Pac twelve a little bit recently. But you know, Arizona State and UCLA have kind of constantly, not constantly, the last few weeks, been on the cusp of the rankings. Arizona State, especially, 
has been very close to getting back in the top 25. They lose a series this weekend to Stanford. Uh, you know, UCLA lost six out of its last ten. Uh, they did win a series this weekend at Utah, but you know, you kind of have to sweep Utah when you have the chance, and they didn't. Yeah. Um, UW just kind of running away with this league. Uh, Oregon State's right there with them. Good, they'll bounce back now for the Ducks. But we've talked about all year, kind of like those three teams kind of separated themselves. Who's the fourth team in this league? It's Will the fourth team in this league please stand up? Please yeah. stand up? Please stand up? It's a dated reference. but No, I got it. Um, <laughs> all, my re- all my references are quite <laughs> dated. But this league does have RPI anchors, is it not? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you've got uh, Arizona and Utah at the back there. You know, 176 and 157. Um, Arizona's are, RPI is worse than Utah's. One seventy six. Oi, no bueno. Not, not good. They their their non conference schedule leaves something to be desired. Um, every year it seems like they, they have they have some problems with that. But um, Arizona well, State. Fix that one Arizona State is probably the fourth. I, I think it's a four bid league, and I think Arizona State's the fourth team. Um, you know, Stanford if they can get above five hundred, that has a pretty good chance because they played such a good non conference schedule. Right. Um, They've got to get to 500. They're still 15 and 17 overall. <laughs> it's crazy. You know, and, and going forward, um, you know, they're, it's doable. I mean, it, it's not, you know, they've got Cal at home. They've got Washington State at home. Then they've got three road series at UCLA, Arizona, and Utah. And none of those teams are juggernauts. I just don't know that Stanford's a juggernaut either. They're not a juggernaut. Um, you know, are they good enough to, you know, to, to, to finish three games over 500 against that remaining schedule? They might be. They better be, because otherwise they're not getting into they're not getting into regional. And if so, maybe it's a five bid league. But um, I, I don't think UCLA is is in good shape. I think they're in trouble. Aaron, uh, you're going to write a column. It sounds like on this uh, RPI hoo ha. There's just some. I mean, obviously there's three, four weeks, four regular season weeks for these things to settle out. We're in the final month of the college baseball regular season, and there's just some. Uh, you know, High Point has a higher RPI than Mississippi State. You know. Um, Columbia has an RPI in the top 50. Columbia wow. of the Ivy League. Wow. So there's some very strange doings afoot at the Circle K uh, slash uh, college baseball RPI. And that helps, you know, it, it the new formula does reward teams that play on the road. And if you're Columbia, you have to play on the road and, and early in the season. And they're, right. uh, they're 14 and 13 on the road, Columbia is. So, um, so there's some rationality. You can, you can explain how they're that high. But... but I mean, that said, you know, you go to Texas and you lose three games, and I just don't think that losing should, I don't know. I mean, it's, I get it. I get the, how the formula works, the RPI. I mean, it, 50% of the RPI is the, the record of your opponents. Right. And, 50, and 25% is your opponent's opponent's record. So just playing good teams helps you. But for me, I, I want to see you beat good teams. Win. You play to win the game. You know, that's just uh, Herman Edwards' You know, the reason why he said that, he was so vexed by people talking about other stuff. And you can get caught up in other stuff, but ultimately, you play to win the game. No, nothing truer ever said about sports than Herman Edwards saying that. I think he gets made fun of for it some. I don't, I, I love I love that quote because it's true. Yeah. And, and it does distill it, and it really, you, you, there's so much other stuff you can get caught up in. Like RPI, like scheduling, scheduling, getting the right schedule, you play to win the game. Win. When you win, you should be rewarded. So Cal Poly, guess what? You keep on winning, you're number two in the country. You sweep uh, Cal State Fullerton, whose season is going down the crapper, 
you deserve you know Louisiana Lafayette yeah you may not have a great schedule but you keep winning yep. you know the only reason you don't sweep again this weekend is you have a ninth inning meltdown uh, the, the, you know those teams are where they are because that's what their record is what they say you know they are what their record says they are uh, so those two teams and, and Cal Poly you know has played I think a good schedule too, it has. as we've talked about Virginia another you know another example Virginia doesn't lose any series they just keep on cruising you know has their offense been what we thought it was no they scored eight eight runs this weekend against North Carolina you know, I think I saw Pitt score eight runs in a game against North Carolina or Georgia Tech or you know one of these kind of teams so uh, is that a great are they the lineup we thought they were? No, they have not been. Uh, the scouts keep telling us how good they are, but guess what? They are who they are. You know, they are what the numbers say they are. Yeah. They are not an, an offensive juggernaut. We yeah. thought they would be, but are they athletic? Do they defend? Usually, yes, very well. Do they pitch? Absolutely. Are, are, are Connor Jones and Nick Howard like the best one-two punch? I wouldn't want to see them in my regional. No. I think that's the best one-two punch in a bullpen around the country. I'm sure there's some other ones. Maybe that's just the one that I'm most familiar with, Aaron. But every time I watch those guys on TV, Connor Jones and Nick and Howard just annihilate people. They're good. Nobody gets good swings off those two guys. So uh, Virginia's number one because they're you know 33 and seven. They haven't lost a series all year, but I, I don't feel like there's a ton of separation. And I, I do feel like RPI wise. Let's reward teams that win, not yeah. just that schedule great. So it's great to when you combine them both, like Florida is now, very difficult schedule and a lot of wins. That's the perfect mix. But some of these other RPI ones just don't make a lot of sense. Agreed. Great way to end the podcast. Aaron Fit telling me how smart I am. So, <laughs> um, I'm going to go back and edit that uh, ridiculous uh, hold steady quote out. You are not. You're going to watch me on that one? All right. Uh, once again, our podcast is powered by Louisville Slugger. Thanks so much to the folks at Slugger Nation for powering the podcast. Thanks for Aaron Fit for the time, and thank you for the download. For Aaron, I'm John. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.